date, July 19th, 1992, Strengthening Church Members Committee from Bishop Glenn L. Pace, subject, Ritualistic Child Abuse. Pursuant to the committee's request, I am writing this memorandum to pass along what I have learned about the ritualistic child abuse. Hopefully, it will be of some value to you as you continue to monitor the problem. You have already received the IDS Social Services Report on Satanism, dated May 24, 1989, a report from Brent Ward, and a memorandum from myself, dated October 20, 1989, in response to Brother Ward's report. Therefore, I will limit this writing to information not contained in those papers. I have met with 60 victims. That number could be twice or three times as many if I did not discipline myself to only one meeting per week. I have not wanted my involvement with this issue to become a handicap in fulfilling my assigned responsibilities. On the other hand, I felt someone needed to pay the price to obtain an intellectual and spiritual conviction as to the seriousness of this problem within the church. Of the 60 victims, 53 are women and 7 are male, 8 are children. In Utah, there's 37 victims, in Idaho, there's 3, in California, there's 4, and in Mexico, there's 2, and in other varying locations, there's 14. 53 victims are currently living in the state of Utah. All 60 individuals are members of the church. 45 victims allege witnessing and or participating in human sacrifice. The majority were abused by relatives, often their parents. All have developed psychological problems and most have been diagnosed as having multiple personality disorder or some other form of dissociative disorder. The memories seem to come in layers. For example, the first memory might be of incest, then they remember robes and candles. Next, they realized that their father or mother or both were present when they were being abused. Another layer will be the memory of seeing other people hurt or even killed. Then they remember having seen babies killed. Another layer is realizing that they participated in the sacrifices. One of the most painful memories may be that they even sacrificed their own baby. With each layer of memory comes another set of problems. However, when 60 witnesses testify to the same type of torture and murder, it becomes impossible for me, personally, not to believe them. The spiritual indoctrination which takes place during the physical abuse is one of the most difficult to overcome. In addition to experiencing stark terror and pain, the children are also instructed in satanic doctrine. Everything is completely reversed. White is black, black is white, good is bad, bad is good. Satan is going to rule during the millennium. Children are put in a situation where they believe they're going to die, and such as being buried alive or being placed in a plastic bag and immersed in water. Prior to doing so, the abuser tells the child to pray to Jesus to see if he'll save her. Imagine a seven-year-old girl having to think they're going to die. Just before or shortly after their baptism into the church, children are baptized by the blood into the satanic order which is meant to cancel out their baptism into the church. They will be asked if they understand or have ever felt the Holy Ghost. When they reply that they have, they will be reminded of the horrible things they have participated in and will be told that they have become a son or daughter of perdition 
and therefore have no chance of being saved or loved by our Father in heaven. In summary, we live in the last dispensation of fullness of times, and Satan is here with the secret combinations and all ugliness that existed in previous dispensations. The scriptures prophesy to that reality. I also believe that the scriptures cited and many others that could be quoted argue against our being passive about the problem. I don't want to be known as an alarmist or a fanatic on the issue. Now that I have put what I have learned in writing to you, I feel the issue is in the right court. I hope to take a low profile on the subject and get on with the duties which I have been formally assigned. This is not to say I'm not willing to be of service. Over the last 18 months, I've acquired a compassionate love and respect for the victims who are fighting for the safety of their physical lives and, more importantly, their souls. These are the words and excerpts of Elder Bishop Glenn L. Pace of The Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, or commonly referred to as the Mormon Church. A respected member of his church and community, an accomplished man who rose up the ranks in his faith, stated what many could never come to believe, something so ghastly it was almost unbelievable, that a desecration of faith and everything holy was taking place in his own congregation. Everything that Bishop Pace came to learn and love from his religion began to come into question when in the year of 1989, Official reports within the LDS Church began to arise with unbelievable and unconscionable details of horrific ritual abuse. Not just a couple witnesses came forward, not just a dozen, but 60 in total. And again, Bishop Pace says himself, and I quote, I have met with 60 victims. That number could be twice or three times as many if I did not discipline myself to only one meeting per week. End quote. 60 being the base minimum considering more witnesses attempted to speak up, but due to the sheer amount of reports and such few people to turn to within the church hierarchy or elders, many cases fell on deaf ears or never reported, or as we'll come to learn, were swept under the rug. The Mormon church in Utah dates back to the second half of the 1800s, with strong roots in all factions of life within the state, making up 42% of the state's population and having a huge influence from a local to a statewide level. The common public perception of a member of the LDS church may be a young man going door to door, knocking, wearing a clean, well-made white collar shirt and tie, being polite and respectful, almost exuding innocence trying to persuade you to simply learn more about their faith. And although on the exterior surface all looks well and holy, history suggests different when disturbing reports in the late 80s began popping up within the church elder hierarchy itself. Many questions began to be raised in what was at the time meant to be a private memorandum only intended for church leaders Elder Bishop Glenn L. Pace clearly and openly suggested a series of systematic ritualistic abuse cases within the LDS Church and its congregation. Some reports extended its depravity all the way to human sacrifice and cannibalism and that of infant sacrifice and cannibalism. Reports so diabolical and grotesque many would seem unbelievable. With the inflammatory nature of these reports and accusations, 
Bishop Pace had nothing to gain from bringing to light these horrors. If anything, this only brought scrutiny and doubt from other church elders and the public. But being a true man of God, Bishop Pace said himself that morally he couldn't let these deeds go unpunished, as he personally saw the damage it had done to its victims and how it altered them for life, even taking a piece of them that they would never be able to recover. With this moral weight on his shoulders, he wrote up the 12-page memorandum listing the details he had gathered from his 60 or so victims he had personally talked to. The details the victims speak of being ghastly and disturbing included being beaten, drowned, suffocated, victims of repeated essay, truly tortured, and in many cases reported adult and infantile sacrifice all while being forced to swear their love and obedience to Satan. In some sick, inverted form of the gospel, where Elder Pace says himself, white is black, black is white, good is evil, evil is good, all for its own dark purposes, but the true motive behind these assaults, apart from the religious aspect, was to break the individual. Many being young women and even children, to cause these individuals' personality and inner psyche to fracture, causing disassociation, a reaction to the extreme levels of physical and mental trauma, the only coping mechanism being for the victim to disassociate, leaving them in an almost amnesia-like state during the abuse committed to them, ironically making them the perfect victim, someone who you could control even if they wanted to remember the abuse inflicted they couldn't, for their own brain was hiding that away from them to keep from complete breakdown or insanity from the pain and the guilt of the past. But as time moved on and emotions were triggered within the victims, more and more people came to Bishop Pace with these dark recollections they had, with many taking place within the church halls themselves. Even Bishop Pace initially had his doubts of validity, but he says, and I quote, However, when 60 witnesses testify to the same type of torture and murder, it becomes impossible for me personally not to believe them, end quote. And he himself, after learning of these atrocities, had no other options but to report this to the highest council. Although Bishop Pace hoped this memorandum would bring justice and light to the situation, as the year came to an end, it had seemed that either the church elders heard his concerns and chose to stay oblivious or completely ignored Elder Pace's reports. With some elders going as so far to completely disagree and cast doubts on Bishop Pace's beliefs, with one elder named Richard G. Scott in 1992 stating the following. While some discussion is vital to the healing process, the almost morbid probing into details of past acts long buried and mercifully forgotten can be shattering. There is another danger. Detailed leading questions that probe your past may unwittingly trigger thoughts that are more imagination or fantasy than reality. They could lead to condemnation of another for acts that were not committed. With his theory being that of a false or misinterpreted memories of the victims, and although this memorandum initially was to remain for church officials' eyes only, eventually this document ends up in the hands of the press in 1991. And from them, 
comes police attention spurring a 30-month-long investigation from Utah state prosecutors. And after concluding their report, they find that there was no evidence to substantiate any of the testimony of the alleged victims. And although no official punishment or even proof of crime, Elder Bishop Glenn L. Pace would go to his grave still claiming he believed the victims. And as the attention of this report slowly faded with time, Elder Pace rarely spoke about this topic ever again, insinuating that this problem was much more real and prevalent and extended much higher than people would like to believe. But in the state of Utah, you could only do so much before your efforts are stopped by the powers that be. And even after Bishop Pace's death, that odd trend seemed to unveil itself over and over again, even in a more modern setting. One asked themselves, why does this mysterious and dark pattern keep occurring within the same geographical vicinity to begin with? We look at Utah itself for having some of the highest rates of depression in the country, with thousands of people struggling with it each year. Utah being known for its focus on family, religion, and community, individuals in the state can often feel pressure to conform to social expectations. On top of societal pressures and depression, Utah's number one leading cause of death between ages 10 and 24 is self-termination, with many youths not being able to cope. All disturbing and what may be the result of an underlying issue at hand within the largest religious group of the state. An interesting and similar much more contemporary story comes out in 2022 of a Utah County therapist named David Hamblin who him and his wife are arrested on charges of ritual child abuse in an ongoing case with similar like details as reported 30 years earlier. And with this couple having ties to a Utah County attorney named David Levitt who is accused of again similar like ritualistic crimes who authorities and officials ruled unsubstantiated and to be false accusations, but nevertheless, interesting considering the setting and the dark past. As we find ourselves in a new year of 2024, we ask ourselves, could these things have possibly taken place? Could these things still be taking place? As much as we'd like to hope, it seems that the truth is darker than fiction at times, and that's an easier pill for us to swallow for these things to not exist. But we'll always keep asking questions always try to shine a light on the dark and that guys concludes the episode this was episode two the pace memorandum and the lds church guys i just want to say a quick thank you i appreciate all the support from the first video till now uh genuinely surprised did not expect even this amount of subscribers or this amount of engagement um it gives me hope for the future of continuing to make different videos. And again, I hope you guys can follow along for the process. Have a happy new year. Take care. Stay safe. And goodbye.